0: Welcome to the Martech Podcast.
1: I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to talk about the importance of inclusive marketing. Joining us is Joanne Boyce, who is the founder of ARIMA & Co., which is establishing inclusive marketing as an industry standard worldwide. Marketing is the power to change society, and ARIMA & Co. believes that providing marketers with education, resources, and tools can change the way that they work to make a positive impact. Yesterday, Joanne and I talked about inclusive marketing, and today we're going to continue the conversation talking about creating inclusive marketing strategies. All right, here's the second part of my conversation with Joanne Boyce, the founder of Arima & Co. Joanne, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me back, Benjamin. So glad to be here.
1: Excited to have you back on the show. You know, we actually had a longer than normal episode yesterday because we were having such a good conversation about what inclusive marketing is, and it gets into the idea that you need to focus on a wide variety and different types of people and not just segment your marketing by, I don't know, what stereotypical boundaries might be. So, opening up to diversity in terms of ethnicity, in terms of gender, in terms of disabilities in your marketing efforts is something that can not only help you increase your TAM, totally addressable market, but it also is the way of the future, where younger generations are starting to prioritize the business relations that they have based on values. And if you don't have diversity and inclusion as one of your core values, you're a dinosaur. Now, the problem is a lot of businesses don't know how to do this. So give me the playbook here of, all right, I got to start being more inclusive in my marketing strategies. Am I just creating ads with actors that are different skin colors? That can't just be it, right? It's got to be more than that.
2: So much more.
1: I was hoping it would be that <laughs> simple, but I know it's not.
2: It's not. But it, again, going back to what I said in our previous episode, it is marketing. Because the first thing I would say with your inclusive marketing strategy is to start with an audit. Know where you are. Know what your representation is. Know where you stand. Know how people perceive your brand online. Because if you don't know, you're not going to be able to gauge what the efforts have got in you. You're not going to be able to gauge if you've expanded your audience, if there's been any shift or narrative. So start with an audit. And in that audit, start looking at your audience mark and personas and the segmentation of those. Have you ever considered disability, race or gender when you're thinking of, has that been a discussion within the team? Look at your website. How accessible is it for people who are using screen readers or other accessibility devices? When it comes to the accessibility of the website, I do want a lot of my clients on this one. That is a project in the sense of you're going to improve it as the tech improves. Screen readers in the back in the days and screen readers now are very different. Websites back in the day and websites now are no longer Hello World. They are very different. So put that part of your strategies throughout the year and check on that and make sure you review it and kind of understand how you can make improvements as you're building and improving the website, improving your content. But I say the best thing to do is start with an audit.
1: All right. So you got to go through an audit and understanding what? Is it just who your targets are? Is it obviously you mentioned the disability, you know, how accessible your website is probably something people think about last. And it's not something that people think about in marketing. It's something seems like a technology solution. Can all people actually access my content? So I understand accessibility. That seems like a technical solution. Talk to me about how you figure out diversity and inclusion in your marketing. How do you think about ethnicities and
2: gender? So one of the things we like to do is just tell you what your perception is online. The best way you can do it is probably ask someone who doesn't know anything about your business organization, what vibe is it giving? Would they work here? And depending on the people you ask, you get different answers. A client of ours was very proud of their gender split of their team, and they used their team in all their marketing content. And when we did a audit of their website, their socials, we found that even though their team was 50-50 gender split, which you'd assume their content would be, their content was actually 90% male. And this was a surprise to them because in their minds, they were pushing every member of the team equally, but they weren't tracking it, so they didn't know. So you hear it a lot in diversity and inclusion not to do a tick box, but when you come to marketing, we produce things that live on the internet for a time period. You have to go and count it and count the perception of it, not what you know of the individual. So how is this being perceived and how would someone interpret this story? Would someone interpret the person sat at the desk as a disabled person? You may know that they are, but is it interpretable in that content? And you just go through and look at your website, your socials. And if you can find anyone speaking about your brand in a bad way, unfortunately, that's also helpful because it's kind of an honest-ish opinion of how your digital presence is. Because sometimes as marketers, we can blur the lines of how we see things.
1: I got in trouble once, and it was related to marketing to, actually, this was specific genders. I was working at a laundry and dry cleaning delivery startup, and I wanted to test a gender specific creative. And so we had a picture of a guy, probably stereotypical, is probably a white guy drinking a beer at home or going to a game, being at a sports bar, and you can reclaim laundry day. Instead of sitting at home doing your laundry, you could be out doing the things that you want to do. And there was a companion piece of creative that was, do you want more guy time? The other one was, do you want more girl time? And the girl time was two girls sitting at a Starbucks or a coffee shop having a cup of coffee. And the people that saw the ad targeting women started getting upset saying that this is sexist. So the reason why I'm telling this story is I'm not sure how you create specific pieces of creative that target non-diverse audiences. If you are targeting black, white, you know, every color you could possibly think of with specific pieces of creative, people will view that as being stereotypical, right? But sometimes putting that creative together might actually produce a better result. How do you think about targeting in your creative and your marketing efforts? And how much should you be thinking about Imagery that includes diversity or trying to put the same type of imagery in front of people that look like those images.
2: There's a couple of layers to that. So to that specific example, I would have been, what is the emotion you're trying to create? And the emotion is you want to create where people have control of their time. Taking the story back to then is looking at what the data says. When do people feel like they have no control of their time? If there's a gender split in that story narrative, maybe follow that and explore it. However, it could have worked the same way. You could have swapped out the person drinking a beer for a guy or a girl or someone non-binary.
1: Pretty universal. It was more, and I don't remember if it was actually drinking a beer at a sports bar, but that's what I think of guy time. Get together with your buddies. Go watch the game.
2: And that's why I think it's really important to, when it comes to marketing, and I will preface this, when it comes to marketing, bring the bias to the table. Because that was your interpretation of guy time. And if it was a room where we can say, actually, what's everyone's interpretation of me time? Then that will impact the creative. It'll impact the story that's being told. Me time. Damn.
1: Where were you 10 years ago when I was creating (laughs) these ads? That would have been such a better campaign instead of guy time and girl time. A little bit more me time.
2: Everything is shifting. And that's
1: another aspect of it. We could have done such a better job with diversity and inclusion in that ad campaign. Me time. Damn.
2: And that's what it is. The implementation of inclusive marketing is not necessary to limit or to kind of hold anyone. It's to expand creativity. It's taking what we've been laying on, even myself, because it's easy when you have to put together creative in a day. It's easy to jump to a stereotype. It's easy to look at an old campaign and then let's let's update a little bit, change the dialer phone to a mobile phone. But if we push the creative a little bit more, push the narrative and start to think, okay, how can we make this touch as many people as possible, but keep the story true? then you get so much more beauty. There's so many campaigns out there that really tug a string at your heart. And then you notice the people in it. Then you notice that, oh, it was an Asian guy that was leading that. I didn't notice. I was too busy crying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying for every campaign to make you cry, but I rather it make you have an emotion before you notice who the person is.
1: Okay. Walk me through more of the playbook. You mentioned that you're going through an audit. I kind of went on a departure and talking about some of the times that I've gotten in trouble and you know had to defend myself of like, nah, we produced two pieces of creative. We are marketing to men and women equally. We just separated out the creative. That was a stupid decision by me. Talk to me about more of the playbook and how do you make sure that you're maximizing your marketing ROI by using marketing inclusion?
2: The other aspect is actually on that visual representation point. So you take a campaign, you have different people in lead, different photography. If you're on a smaller budget, it's just thinking about where you can source different stock photos, platforms that generate stock photos specifically of marginalized backgrounds, disabled, people of color and um, that you can access. But if you can tell a story, same story, but using different individuals as the lead, you can extend the reach of that one campaign without having to reshoot it every single time. And that to me is a good way to save on some money because you have to think of a new story or new creative every single time. But it's also a way to kind of show how something affects different people. So that visual representation aspect and thinking also when you come to use influencers. So I mentioned earlier when we were talking about your equation, the algorithm to bring people onto the show. When using influencers, a lot of time people will go to a campaign and use the biggest influencer or the biggest thought leader. But not necessarily, sometimes they have really shit engagement. They could have a million followers, but not one person would buy their product, I think.
1: Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. It's the Kim Kardashian effect, right, where we talk about macro influencers versus micro influencers. You can work with Kim Kardashian and get this huge reach, but low engagement might have business results depending on what your product or service is. Or you could work with 10,000 micro influencers that have a thousand followers each, but they're all actually family and friends and the engagement is much better.
2: And that's exactly the formula for people from marginalized backgrounds, because they're not held in the Kim Kardashian levels. The people that they engage with, their community is so much richer. So if you were to work with 10 influencers from marginalized backgrounds or underrepresented backgrounds, you might get a higher ROI than you would with working in Kim Kardashian because those people are trusting because they're like, oh, you're not going to sell us out. They, they have a belief.
1: You mentioned yesterday something that I think is important too, and it's more future looking, right? We're talking about while well, your existing marketing campaigns are you going to drive higher ROI through inclusive marketing? A lot of the younger generation is starting to think about the values of organizations where they put their money. How do you think about messaging what your organization's values are that you believe in diversity and inclusion? Where does that kind of stack up with, here's our products, here's our services, here's why you should buy something, as opposed to this is who we are. Help me balance a company's mission and marketing their values as opposed to products and services.
2: That's an interesting one because their mission should lead their marketing and it should be at the core of it. So this is why I also say if your values and you don't give a shit about it and you want to be a dinosaur and you don't care about the future and you're just like, we're going to do what we're going to do, don't bother honestly, you're saving us all the hassle. But if your values are about, let's say you have the best windows in the world and good windows could save lives, whose lives are you saving? How can you tell that narrative? How are the different people that are living behind the windows you provide living their lives? How can you then connect that? You're still talking about windows which, sorry if anyone sells windows, I think is a boring subject matter. But the story behind the window is what you're sharing. And that's how you connect with the younger generation. The younger generation, Gen X coming up, they know way more about inclusion than any generation before them because they've lived it. They're used to going on TikTok and engaging with people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, non-binary individuals. They're used to seeing that on the internet and having access to directly talk to those people. Whereas the generations beforehand, maybe not. Maybe you lived in a small town and you haven't seen anyone different to you in 50 years. So future proofing.
1: You're future proofing your marketing by thinking about diversity and inclusion and and having inclusive marketing strategies. We kind of walk through a little bit of the playbook. This is not a one-time. Hey, let's do an inclusivity audit, fix some things and move forward and forget about it. It's an ongoing process. Talk to me about the resources necessary to make sure that you're including inclusive marketing into your ongoing strategies. Do you have to hire an agency to audit you? Is this something that you can do internally? What are the best in class companies doing to make sure that this stays a primary focus for them?
2: A mixture of things. So you can have training where you make it everyone's responsibility. What tends to happen a lot of time with clients is that someone different will join the team. And then it's that person's responsibility to look after everything for whatever difference it is. So if it's the first woman, she has to look after all the marketing to do with the woman. No, everyone needs to take ownership. So that's training and that's awareness. And that's kind of where a lot of people are in their business. Then you have looking at the agencies you work with. So making sure you have a request for them. If you're going to provide us with influencers or content, we need it to be diverse and having that be a standard. And that's a process that you can implement in your brief or in any kind of documents you have to make it easier, to make it a thing that everyone thinks about when they're doing it. And internally, a lot of companies, we've helped them build inclusive copy guides. So words that you want to avoid, words that your market or your target audience might use, like on fleek, as example, was really popular a while ago.
1: Is that not cool anymore? Are the kids (laughs) not saying on fleek?
2: But at the same time, I think a brand a couple of years ago got called out for using it because it wasn't their tone of voice and it felt that they were trying to capitalize on young and Black culture without actually representing any of that in their marketing. So having those active decisions when you're making your copy guidelines is something you can do internally and have it so anyone who's producing copy can be like, yeah, this is what we don't say. This is what we do say. There's going to be some hard words on there as well. Like there are certain words you just shouldn't put out in a marketing campaign, but if I have to spell it out, there's a bigger problem here. <laughs> One of the things I do is I look for bad campaigns. So I've seen some very, very, like you wouldn't believe the levels. And even in the UK as well.
1: You got to give me an example <laughs> here. I know. Don't don't use any racist terms. But
2: OK, so this was a few years ago. And to be fair, the person who published it wasn't a marketer, but it was on the company's website. So it was a gym in the UK And someone published that their workouts are like 12 years of slavery, referring to the book. Oh, God. Yeah. There's there's certain levels that you're just like, I didn't think I needed to add that to a list, (laughs) that an organization shouldn't do that.
1: The one that got Peloton in trouble was the husband, or maybe it could have been a boyfriend, buys the girlfriend who seems to be frustrated a Peloton so she can get in shape and feel better. And now she's keeping it trim and tight and she's so grateful to him for buying this gift. And I think the message was supposed to be about prioritizing your health and being supportive. And maybe it was because it was a white man from an affluent background, giving his beautiful white wife a bike to go exercise. It kind of came off as like, There was an old movie with Steve Martin, The Father of the Bride, where the fiancé buys the wife a blender and she's like, what, am I supposed to be in the kitchen blending stuff? And she gets upset and I won't defend Peloton. Obviously, that commercial was inappropriate.
2: But like, it was a bad story as well. I'm sorry, I'm not married, but... I would at least have a conversation before they spend a couple of grand on a bike. My wife wanted a a Peloton.
1: It's funny, she's walking behind us, right, as we speak. My wife wanted a Peloton for her birthday. And as I bought her the bike before it was delivered, it was, oh no, it was Christmas. And I bought her the bike, and then the gift was a picture of a QR code with a link to that ad and then it was a link to a spoof of that ad with it was like you know she breaks up with them i think there was like an alcohol ad where she's at the bar like sucking down martinis because he was a creep and i i was basically like for christmas i'm like this is getting delivered to home but let's make sure that you don't end up at a bar drinking because you're tired of me this is what i think you said you wanted
2: But the story you have there is that you knew she wanted it. That could have been an amazing narrative of how many ways does people drop hints about their birthday gifts. And then eventually you give up and you buy the thing for them. And we've seen that.
1: I also cheaped out and I bought what we call a (laughs) Peloton. It's an echelon and we have a TV. So we use the Peloton app, but it's a different bike anyway.
2: One of the things I want to say about inclusive marketing as well, it is this more authentic aspect. It is looking at stories that are a little bit more realistic than it is just, Oh, a wife and a husband or a happy partnership. They're going to just buy each other gifts and not have a conversation about it. Come on.
1: Yeah, I felt like it was ironic that a year later I was buying my wife a Peloton (laughs) or an exercise bike. And I was like, I'm going to get in trouble for this somehow. I am now a stereotype. Let's try to avoid this. Anyway, Joanne, I had such a wonderful time talking about this. And honestly, these are normally conversations that can be very difficult to have. I appreciate you coming on our show, obviously representing a diverse background, helping us be a little bit more diverse in our speaker set, but more importantly, helping marketers understand how to be more inclusive in their marketing strategies. That's something I truly believe is important. Thanks for coming on and being my guest.
2: Thank you for having me. And one quick tip I want to leave for everyone that they can all implement. Fire away. On all social platforms, you can add alt text to your photos and GIFs, and that's a good way to engage with the disabled community and have them access your content. You can start doing that today for free.
1: Good tip. All right. Well, thank you. Something actionable to leave us with. And that wraps up this episode of the Martech podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Joanne Boyce, the founder of Arima & Co. If you'd like to get in touch with Joanne, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her handle is Joanne Boyce. That's J-O-Y-A-N-N-B-O-Y-C-E. Or you can visit her company's website, which is arimacompany.com. A-R-I-M-A company.com.